Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. All right, so the observation was made uh, how much personality comes out in Nage and Uke. And the, my response is that that's, that's not good practice. Um, that sense of individuality or personality, it's really a reactivity is what we're noting. And reactivity is the functioning of the ego tripartite. So those interdependent aspects of the ego, the I identity with its dichotomy and then its preferential behavioral pattern. All that is reifying the ego and it just keeps going on and on and on. So you're seeing uh, either the Nagya um, feels threatened because they have established a preference um, and that preference is not being manifested due to the variation of whatever Uke is doing. Um, so even just being attacked, you'd prefer not to be attacked. And so there's already some reactivity and some sort of resistance and rejection to what uke is doing. And if that uke might be stronger than you, bigger than you, faster than you, uh, you're going to see more preference, so more resistance, more rejection, more reification of the ego, um, and more dichotomy. And that's what we're seeing is, that's what we're calling here colloquially personality. And the same thing happens with uke. So Naga threw you in a way and you just didn't want to be thrown that way or at that, that pace or that direction or that uh, with that much force or energy. There's no just acceptance because pure acceptance cannot exist in the ego tripartite. By default, you ha automatically have resistance and rejection. Pure acceptance is only a product of that ego tripartite being deconstructed. So pure acceptance is only possible at the unattachment or the detachment of the ego. It is only possible through that second mind aspect, which means in an art, such as Aikido, it is only possible through the second mind aspect. There is no Aikido through our normal everyday mind, through the functioning of that ego tripartite. There is no Aikido at that level. You're constantly pushing on what's pushing on you, pulling on what's pulling on you. You're too early, you're too late, you're always stuck in dichotomy. There is no communion. There is no Aikido. 
And that's, that's what comes out. And that's why you have to intensify your training. And one way of doing it is, let's add another guy in there. So that I can't completely get lost in the mundaneness or the routineness of this single person who I've been trained you know, in that format for forever. I have countless reps in there. It becomes so unchallenging, so to speak, that the first aspect, the first mind aspect, or that ego tripartite, can appear to function as if it's doing Aikido. But if you look at it purely through yin and yang, you can see, no, 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 no. That's a yang-yang clash, right? You're pushing or you're pulling, that kind of thing. Your arms are going in and out, it's external, etc. You can see it. And that, that is truly the reason why, really, why your Aikido has to be martial. Because your art can only be a spiritual, meaning you, you can only deconstruct the ego tripartite to the degree at which your art is martial. So you can only be a spiritual in your Aikido to the degree that your art is martial because to be martial is to challenge it with being triggered by the ego tripartite. So you add a, you can spend your whole life doing uh, one uke, one technique, one uke, and one technique, and you can kind of get like the way kids play house. You know, they're not really married, they fake sex, they fake kissing, you know, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> they have fake fights about the fake plastic dishes and things like that. Well, you can fake it. And the way you reveal the falsity of your spiritual maturity is by continually challenging it with things wherein that ego tripartite simply cannot function. It will clearly be uh, exposed because the training itself is magnifying its functioning or amplifying its functioning. And the way that you do that is your uke are better warriors. They are better at attacking. They are better at triggering you into dichotomy because you want to win because they're better at winning, okay? And so these two things go together. Your art is only as spiritual as it is martial because it is through the martial that you cultivate the spirit. Okay, so you, we, we've done talks where the, the martial is the sharpening stone. Well, you, your sword is only going to get as sharp as that stone is of high quality. So it's the same thing here. Again, as I was saying earlier, that... Self-defense cannot be your reason for training. It cannot be. It does not and will not, in the end, justify the hours. It will not. I imagine the way that people train today, maybe, you know, because most people do two to three hours a week. It's a, a type of escapism, mostly for men. Let me get out of the house. Let me get away from the kids. 
let me get away from her. Things go have guys' night out kind of thing. Sometimes they even go out after class, right? Maybe your imaginary self-defense concern can justify two, three hours a week. But that is not enough time to learn the art. So you're looking four to six hours a day over decades. You're not going to justify that level of commitment and that level of integration and the corresponding level of sacrifice with self-defense. It doesn't happen. Our interest in the martial is for the spiritual because of its relation to it. The spiritual aspect's dependence upon the martial aspect. That's why we do it. And then just coincidentally, it goes over into, oh, I can defend myself. But that's not my primary motivation. And that, and that is what a Buddha is. But the Buddha that uses that logic and goes, well, my primary motivation is not self-defense, and they do not coincidentally gain that marsh of viability, also unknowingly decreases their spiritual viability. That is key. And that's how I would tie this point into the earlier point. So, it's not very martial to be so triggerable. This is what makes you susceptible to baits and rhythm changes and fakes and feints. The mind that is so captured is really an ultimate weakness, martially speaking. This is how, like, some of you got hit in the face and I could see your eyes open, like, way after you got hit. Or you're taking forever to get up from a throw because you're kind of shocked that you landed that far away or even in another team's area of training. Why can't we just get up right away like I would any other throw? Why is there some attachment over what just happened. Who cares what happened? What is the now? The now is I just, I get up and I go again. But there's still like a gathering of yourself, a recomposing of yourself, and there simply is no time for that in a martial context. That's where the follow-up attack comes in and just knocks the F out of you. You can't, you can't be, in other words, you can't be getting up to fight. You're never going to get up. You, you are always fighting. You take your sweet time getting up to fight. That's where that head kick is coming in as you're getting up. And you're never getting up, and you're not going to see the kick either. But spiritually, it's nothing more than that ego tripartite being unable to function in the now and at speed of life. That's what's happening. Because you had one, you had something happen that was 
on the wrong side of your dichotomy. And you're having to unstick yourself from it. But there is no time to unstick yourself. There's no time. This is spark from a stone timing. Do you get it? This is a snap timing. Only that ego has to recompose. The second mind aspect was never decomposed, you know? You don't have to recompose. You're just in the now. It's everything's still flowing, fluid, moving. No dichotomy. I'm not somewhere I shouldn't have been. I'm not somewhere I wish I wasn't. Do you see? And so for that reason, there shouldn't be so much personality on the mat. And that can take us back to the very first point we made today. If, if my training is not a matter of deconstructing the ego tripartite, if my training is not a matter of gaining access to my second mind aspect, I am just exercising. What should have been, in essence, a spiritual practice on par with meditation, contemplation, prayer, any of the misogi, any ascetic or anchorite ritual was just anaerobic, aerobic movement. And we're just wasting time. Even if it could be the case that someone might attack me and I can now throw them with a kokunage. I, this, this is still, relatively speaking, a waste of time. You have lost the true battle. The battle that is within you, within each deshi, to make the art sacred, not profane. To make the art of the other world, not of this world. So when there's so much personality on the mat, it's just exercising. And there's, there's a... You know, because of the concentric nature between the martial and the spiritual, I think it's a stretch to say that even the self-defense aspect is being met. Because in your reactivity, in the manifestation of your personality, is technically inferior applications of the art by which we do mean non-martial applications. So you're muscling, okay? Let's say you're muscling that uke, and let's say you throw that uke. Well, 
that to me is not very martial because you just were able to overpower that particular uke. And that seems, if you, you know, if you were to see an ad for your martial art and, and it was, come learn how to defend yourself against weaker people, no one would go, that, that's for me. That's what I face all the time, weaker people trying to kill me. We don't do, that's not who the arts were for, and that would not be the way you would define any martially valid art. That, that would be the key definition of invalidity, an art that only works when you can overpower your opponent. So even then, even as your personality comes out, as it's triggered by the uke, and you resort to this dichotomous behavior, you lose the art and you start doing something like muscling, it's not even martial, I would say. It's martial in a very small context, in a very, in a very small context that is really not very valuable. So now, then we're just left with exercising. And again, as we've said many times, is this the best way to exercise? No. You, you could get in way better shape just sticking to our, our body conditioning formats. Just lift, just lift the compound lifts. You know? Watch your calorie intake. Keep track of your macros. You're going to get in way better physical conditioning. And with that, way better health. I mean, the, the most you might lose, I would say, would might be the, the mobility aspect. But that's an easy fix. Add some modern yoga to your routine. You're going to be fit. So even from an exercise standard, when the mat becomes dominated by so much personality, when the ego tripartite is allowed to function without question, and I lose even self-defense, I'm just doing bad exercise. And, and you, could do, you could apply the, for, the same format. You know, you, you, you have an ad for this fitness, and you're like, come increase your strength by lifting a resistance that would never produce the adaptation. Wait, what'd you say? You know what I mean? No, no one would go, sign me up. We wouldn't. It's a very inferior exercise system. I think the, the, um, the yield we see is itself part of that ego tripartite functioning, meaning it is itself also just a delusion that is reifying that, that entire three-part aspect of mind. You know, we, we picture ourselves the hero of something. This is the only way you could feel any sense of accomplishment by throwing someone that you could overpower. You kind of, you know, you're John Wick for an hour or two. But by all 
contemplation or reason or meditation upon what you're actually accomplishing, and you, you're going to go, wow, that is quite delusional. I'm not really yielding anything. So you have to be really, really uh, concerned about so much personality on the map, whether you're Nage or Uke. So even the people that were able to successfully not be caught by the second person had moments of feeling rushed and of barely making it, right? And that's still personality. That's still the ego tripartite functioning. And they even had moments of making it. Same thing. That's the dichotomous mind functioning. So you really want to, every time you come in the dojo, you're fighting this inner battle, whether I make my art exercise or whether I make it a true spiritual practice. But understanding that the validity of my spiritual maturity is interdependent with the validity of the system by which I cultivate that which means it's interdependent with how martial I am. Okay, any other comments or questions? Or observations on the training? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and so, and I think that's a step of training. So let me let me pull out what you know, I think what you said is is totally right, and I think that's on par with with Lace's point that there's a lot of personality on the mat. Okay, but let me pull out something from what you said. So um, I would say at a certain level of cultivation, the ego tripartite functions mostly subconsciously. And one of the first steps in your moving beyond it, in your deconstruction of it, is this metacognition, which you just described. You're, you're able to observe yourself in some level. I don't want you to attach the word of observation to your eyes. At some level, you are sensitive enough to gather enough information that is actually functioning, and you could tell I'm doing right or wrong, right or wrong, right or wrong, do you see? That is key. I would say even as you go higher, that metacognition never goes away. Like, you need that, and this is how you first hone it, is that you can actually, in some way, sense Holy cow, I'm, I'm dichotomously behaving right now. Do you know what I mean? That's key. Uh, and I think if you go and you look at the people um, who are not getting caught by the second uke, they're doing that. 
And, and as you're unable to do that, that's where you're seeing the people get caught by the second uke more, more and more. Because the, the full non, let's say, the full non-deconstruction of the ego tripartite requires its subconscious functioning. Do you see that? So the way that I would be the furthest from the application of the art would be the subconscious functioning of the ego tripartite. Okay? So that metacognition is key. Totally key. And uh, now what we have to do is further refine that, further refine that. So I think the early stages, you have a metacognition of the ego tripartite functioning. And then later, you're going to learn the skills of releasing. And you can actually do something about it. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, instead of going like, why am I doing this? You actually stop stop doing you can observe that you're doing this dichotomous um behavioral patterns and then you just disengage from from the behavioral pattern you get you get yourself uh, you know you're like the ping pong ball and you go nope i'm not a ping pong ball anymore and and you're off the court kind of thing okay so that's key uh and i i think you could see that you had uh way more successes than somebody else who was, was not able to do that, right? That This is key. Um, and that's really what you should be doing. That should be your first step is, and let me observe myself enough that I don't allow the subconscious functioning of the ego tripartite. That is what you need to do, okay? And usually, you know, don't confuse this metacognition with, with noticing it after the fact, okay? The, the metacognition is... is in the now, and, you know, trying to overpower the bigger guy, getting stuck and caught by the second guy, and then going, I shouldn't have overpowered the, that first guy. That's not the metacognition I'm speaking about. That's just self-reflection, which is a good step, and maybe that step comes first, but I don't think that second step can ever be honed into metacognition, okay? You had something? Yes, but um, let's let's try. I talked about this recently. Um, maybe it was the lo- last podcast, okay? Um, where I mentioned that Young's Young's uh, concern with the unconscious is about a kind of integration with that ego tripartite using our words okay not a it's, it, it is not about another dichotomy because that would be my ego tripartite subconsciously functioning okay and even in budo the um it is common for people to make the mistake that the second mind, as- what we're calling the second mind aspect, 
uh, is somehow superior and better and should operate at the cessation of the ego tripartite. This is impossible, okay? And in the same way that a lot of Jung's followers um, don't understand individuation properly about the integration of the different aspects of the mind, many people in Budo's history uh, also make this mistake, okay? So they'll do things like, um, you know, the, the mind-only schools, for example. So the mind-only schools of Buddhism, uh, Yogacara, for example, is, is giving so much preference to that second mind aspect that the first mind aspect is delusional. And then everything of the first mind aspect, you don't function. You just get rid of, you know. And I think what you're seeing here is another language game. It's another academic phase of people who did not have the experience trying to make sense of the experience. So, um, you know, they picture that once you have this um, this experience of, of, let's say, the collective unconscious or, the, or God consciousness, um, that you just stay in it, do you see? Or that you should just stay in it. And somehow, all of a sudden, should, and the, a static nature, uh, which is in complete violation of every other teaching of Yogacara, it now becomes fine, you know. But it's, it seems like it's more of a philosophical problem because whoever that person is, sooner or later, has got to take a shit, right? Got to eat some food. Got to clean the room. Do you, do you understand? And they picture that you just stay in this state of bliss and then, I don't know, flowers come out your ass or something. Do you know what I mean? It's, 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 that, it's that same academic phase. It's like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about because you're just thinking about it. You haven't experienced it. You know, very much like, like I, I see in, the, in um, people that want to be in law enforcement. You know, you have no idea what the job is about. You're just imagining the job. You see? And then you get up, you get all these false problems with all these false solutions. Or even uh, people concerned with self-defense, you know, but they've never actually defended themselves or their defense has been ego duels, social violence. They've never had a social violent encounter, and so they think there's really no difference between asocial violence and social violence. So they'll talk about this, I won this match, and I won this match, and I've been in so many fights, and they're all ego duels, they're all, right, two, two young men, right, measuring their egos, size matters, that kind of bullshit. They've never really had someone try to kill them. So they think it's the same. So the solutions they come up with are born out of that ignorance, but they don't know it. 
So that, that, there's always this phase in, in the, um, the movement of the experience to a curriculum. There's always a phase where there's a person that has the experience and eventually they're followed by a lot of people who don't have the experience, do you see? But exchange social and cultural capital through the experience of whoever the first guy was. But now, now they're just talking out their ass. But nobody comes around and goes, dude, you're talking out of your ass. Right? Because there's real capital there. Social and cultural capital is eventually real capital. And it's all like, hey, how do I get some of that? Well, don't call me out and I'll put, wave the sign of the cross over your head. Here's a piece of paper. Here's a colored belt. And now you can get some of this too. Okay? You, you have to understand that that that's just how culture is. And of course that's happening in Aikido. So it happened in, in Zen too. Okay, people, people are looking for these comatose states kind of thing. right? And they're looking for teachers like that. Do you know what I mean? That's where the, the hippie Jesus myth comes from. Do, do you get it? So your, your teacher acts outside of your imagined state of bliss. Well, then he's not a real teacher. But it's all just that person's own subconscious ego tripartite functioning. That's what that is. So I, I love the way, I think it was uh, Suzuki Doshi. I just, I, 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 maybe he didn't even say it like that. You know, some of his lectures are on, he's, he's deceased now, but some of his lectures have, you actually get to hear him in his own voice. And um, I just, I like the way Peter Coyote talks, though. So if you get the audio books of these lectures, um, and you, you hear, you can hear Suzuki Doshi uh, talking you can know that's him it's his words you can tell uh, but it's just read in such an awesome way with Peter Coyote because it's like almost like of course I'm right of, you know duh what are you thinking you know it's, re it's read like that and one of the things he talks about is this doctrine of uh, the, I like the translation my my mentor in the in uh, my doctorate program gave me he, he defined it as non-two-ness which is very weird because a lot of people want to define it as oneness, okay? And non-two-ness is going to let you know that there's still two things there. They're just not functioning as two things. Do you see that? And he used to get a lot of heat for that. Like, what is this non-two-ness? Because everyone would talk about one oneness. Do you get it? But non-two-ness really describes it much more, this concept of I do have two aspects of my mind. But we want them to function in an integrated way, non-two-ness, okay? And so when you listen to these talks by Suzuki Roshi, he, he's always like, you're this and you're that. You're this and you're that. You're this, but you're also that. You're that and you're still this, do you see? Which is true. So you are this you are Jung's unconscious mind or the God consciousness or the second mind aspect, do you see? But you are also the ego tripartite, okay? 
And what we're looking for, in a way, you're looking for, when we talk about the deconstruction of that ego tripartite, we're talking about the removal of its subconscious functioning. Do you get that? And it's, it's that. When you, when you bring, when you're like, well, how does that happen? The second mind aspect comes in. That pure consciousness comes in. Do you see? And it's that that is the very experience of the cessation of the subconscious functioning of the ego tripartite. So right now, let's, let's simplify that. Uh, maybe you guys are giving me eyes like, what did he say? Um, remember, as I said, that the problem with the ego tripartite is its full functioning is subconscious, meaning I don't really... I'm not really aware I'm acting dichotomously. I'm not really aware I'm pushing on the uke who's pushing on me, right? There's very few nage after a while that do that purposefully, you know? Especially here. It's not like you're going to say, you know what, fuck you, sensei. I think this is the better way. You know, no one's saying that, but you can't stop it, do you see? You can't stop it. And if you pay attention, when I point it out to you, you always have a oh yeah kind of experience, which means it's occurring without your full awareness of it. Let's call that it is functioning subconsciously or it is functioning without my full awareness. Do you see that? When it functions without my full awareness, I get stuck in this dichotomy and this preferential behavior patterns and I don't see how my behaviors themselves are what is generating the dichotomy. I don't see that it's when I push on uke that I'm actually having uke push on me. When, I, when the first mind aspect, when the ego tripartite functions without my awareness, I am convinced that they were pushing on me. And I'm just responding to that. But this is a violation of yin-yang theory, do you see? For them to push on me, I have to push on them. Okay? And this bringing awareness allows me to see my role in the dichotomy. And it is that seeing, that, that bringing of awareness that getting rid of the unawareness, that is the second mind aspect. That is what is coming in. I, in that very moment, I have a liberation from that entire system. Then it gets deconstructed. And now I have the ability to choose. I gain agency. Do you see? Before, I was just habit and reaction. I was at the mercy of the delusion that I was not actually creating this reality. Okay? Well, that, that moment is that second mind aspect being brought to bear. Okay? But you could see it doesn't obliterate 
overtake, kill off once and for all the second mind aspect. It just allows it to function in my, my way. Which, what should my way be? According to the wisdom tradition to which I belong. So our wisdom tradition is ultimately yin-yang theory. Okay? So the dude is pushing on me because I'm pushing on him. Stop pushing on the guy. Now there's no more contests. Now without contests, I do not risk losing. Do you see? And that's the ultimate aim. If there's no risk of me losing, that's pretty good martially. But in that, in the generation of that loss of risk is my spiritual maturity. So as you consider these things, I, I see what you're saying, but what you're not realizing is that's the ego tripartite functioning. Okay? You're looking at integration, wholeness, okay? a utilization of the second mind aspect, not a monopolization of the second mind aspect. It's not possible, and you wouldn't want it either. It's not possible, and you wouldn't want it either. Okay? Um, I've mentioned to you the historical debates, again, that happened between the Buddhist and the Confucians in ancient China before the emperor. And you had the same problem. <clears throat> you have to understand that in any tradition, the number of people who actually had the experience is a minority. Most of us are academics or that priestly caste. And so the same thing happened in Buddhism, believe me. There's way more people just going through the motions than there are that are actually having that second mind aspect. So you have a lot of academic trends in Buddhism outside the experience. So when these people came to debate the Confucians, believe me, I guarantee you, there was a lot of academics in that party, okay? And they're going to talk about the emptiness of all reality, right? Empty, shunyata, a key concept in Buddhism. And uh, the Confucians were like, oh, I, I see what you're saying. I'm, you know, it was like a chess game. They're like, oh, you're trying that? You're trying the Queen's Gambit, huh? Okay. And so they saw the early checkmate, and they go, okay, so if there really is ultimately uh, no self and all the, the, the core nature of all reality is emptiness, am I to treat my parents like this dung heap? Well, now the Buddhist has got to go, damn, I got to stick to my guns. Yes. And, and what is yes? You know, they're like doing a game show. What is Yes. And uh, to the Chinese consciousness is like, clearly you guys are idiots. It, you, you can't even tell the difference between a dung heap and your parents. Do you see? And then their emperor Alice 
Alex Trebek goes, you know, you lost because that was the wrong answer. What is no is the answer we were looking for, right? Do you understand? Uh, and so what it is is those academics were coming from their imagining of the second mind aspect, you see, from the, from the God consciousness, from the Buddha nature, you see. But their, their academic understanding of the Buddha nature was so false, it was actually contrary to life, you see, because part of our humanness is that ego tripartite. And you can't get rid of it entirely so that you can tell the difference between a dung heap and your mother and father. Okay? And this is key because Budo, while it does have ties to Indian religious culture, did a whole lot of filtering as it traveled through the Silk Road, through China, Korea, Japan. Okay? And I think that is one of the key things. But... Um, you're not, you're not looking for this, oh, materiality bad, immateriality good. That's just more subconscious ego tripartite functioning, okay? All right, anything else that came up um, maybe technically in the three-man drill? Like what was not working, what was working? I think you could see like... Um, Getting off the line at intense levels is a lot different than getting off the line at less intense levels, right? Okay. So try to be very mindful of that. That's one of those things why you have to continuously increase the intensity because assumption sets in, right? And you know the, the rule, right? Assumption, you're making an ass out of you and me. Okay, so uh, that's what we saw a lot of. You're like, this is about how far I always step, but that's under very controlled conditions, right? People aren't running at you. Uh, people aren't trying to capture you, and there's no second guy, okay? But I would go, I would look deeper and see um, if you can understand angle of deviation much more sophisticatedly than just the taking of more space uh, because that means more time and when you have a second guy a third guy you actually don't have that luxury so you really need to understand your angle of deviation better than just take a bigger step out to the side okay now let's play a little game here who could guess why I need so much of a sidestep to clear the line Mm -mm. No. It's going to be a biomechanical thing. Uh, nope. And uh, time. You, you're double pivoting. You're double pivoting. You don't have the single pivot, so you can't generate the angle of deviation within the rotation of the throw itself, which is why you move off to the side, then you start your rotating. Do you see that? And that is just taking way too long, which you know, instinctually you know, and that's why you're like, don't move that far off to the side, and now the guy hits you, okay? So you gotta go back to that beginner's drill, 
where you're really working on establishing the single pivot point so that your deviation is in your rotation and not in my stepping to the side. I would I would tell you if you if you um, if you watch m more. Sometimes I'm stepping to the side, but sometimes I'm not, and the guy's still not hitting me as we did in the last video that we posted, right? The guy's coming right at you and just rotate on a single pivot point. You have enough of a deviation where there's no collision, okay? So go back to your basics. You, you have all the other elements of, um, you know, the architectural elements of Kokunage, except we're still being plagued by the single pivot point, okay? All right, let's stop there. This concludes this episode of Budo the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com, S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com, or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.